Let's sing again to the Lord's praise. Beneath thy cross I stand. And again, this is another hymn that was written by our brother Bodner. Let's stand, please, as we sing.
Let me ask our sister Dorothy to come now to the podium at the front. Well, today is a a special day uh, for us in our church as we want to officially recognize the Bodner Memorial Library. Pastor John Peter Bodner, he went home to be with the Lord on September the 4th of 2023. He had uh, battled health issues for about two years before he passed and his funeral that was held on September the 15th of 23, well, because he had time over the period of his sickness, he was a man who was organized and he prepared, and he wrote out his own testimony uh, to be read at his funeral. And this is how he described himself As a teen, a self-righteous, pharisaic, vain, cynical hypocrite. Well, with a mouthful like that, that's how our brother thought of himself as he was growing up and as a teenager, and he looked down upon other people. Well, he said, until, until the Lord, by His sovereign grace, opened his heart and his eyes and he saw the Lord Jesus by faith, and he believed in him, and the Lord changed his life. God put his hand upon our brother and called him into the gospel ministry, and he held his Baptist convictions very strongly. He was very strongly a man who was a Calvinist. He believed in the doctrines of grace, and he loved the the Lord and the The sovereign grace of God meant so much to him. And yet, I say it lovingly because he was a man who preached in our church many, many times, and we love to have fellowship with him. Well, you will know that we are not Baptist as far as that title goes, free Presbyterians, but we're a bit of an anomaly and a hybrid model when it comes to that as well. Nonetheless, we had good fellowship with our brother And I think in the truest sense, John was an ecumenical man because he loved those who loved Christ. And he was able to share and be in the pulpit as he was many times on many different uh, uh, denominations. But if they were true and faithful to the gospel, that was the key point. And he was able to serve the Lord in that way. Throughout his ministry, He collected many theological books, and he cherished them because he used them for his study of the Word. He used them in the preparation of his own heart and soul. And sometimes he was in between places, either moving in one home to another place and one church or a different place, and he didn't have anywhere to store his books. So he asked, do we have any place? And we used one of our portables, was devoted for a couple of years to his library and tried to organize and sort of, Dorothy, you remember that. You were in that portable many times and helping to organize those things. And then we had to have use of the portable some years after that, so he had to shift them to another place. And 
John was, he asked one day, he said, I want my books to be used for God's work. I want my books to be used uh, for encouraging ministerial students and helping. And he said, would you have any use for them? And I said, yes, most definitely. We would count it a great privilege to have that material and make them useful for ministerial students and those who are studying. And so we have now today that valuable legacy, and uh, that is the library that we are, are dedicating. In the latter years, uh, John and Dorothy, they would try to come periodically to sort out the books downstairs, but as John's case was, every time he came, he brought a bunch more books with him. So the library just kept getting bigger and bigger, and there was not really a place to put all the books. And so Dorothy's smiling. She knows that very well. And uh, the body became weaker for John, and he was just not able to take care of those things. And so after our, our brother went home to heaven, we thought it would be a very fitting thing for us to gather and have a day where we would invite uh, his dear wife and be able to devote and dedicate this library to him. A word of thanks to Reverend Chris Kim and his wife Hannah, who plays the organ, as they did a great job working for months in sorting out and organizing and arranging the library. You will be able to see that in time, and we greatly appreciate the work that they did. And so it's a great joy for us today to have Mrs. Bodner with us and I want to uh, present this plaque to you, but before I do that, one thing I want to read to you that John wrote in his testimony that was on the funeral bulletin. In his written testimony, he thanked God for the uh, numberless blessings of life and family and fellowship with God's people, and especially, he writes, for the wonderful gift of over 30 years married to my lovely Dorothy and all her loving care to me, I bless his name. And so that was a, a lovely tribute. And so, Dorothy, I want to present this plaque to you, although you can't have it. It's going to be posted downstairs in the library, so you can just look at it and hold it for a few minutes. And it's simply, uh, it has a picture of John on it and the memorial library, and it has the dates of John. So that's, you can look at that and... Put your hands on it for a little bit and look at it and appreciate it. <laughs> well, we're so happy that our sister's with us today, and uh, she's going to just say a few words. So Mostly you've said what I Have I said it? Well, okay. <laughs> so, I, I just want to say thank you that John has always wanted his books to be used for the Lord's work, and we really appreciate that you've made this available and... They're not in my living room anymore. <laughs> John bought books right from the word go, and he, he bought them, and especially when the computers came up, his emails were mostly book distributors. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done for us. Thank you.
I want you to turn, please, in your Bibles now to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. He that winketh with the eye causeth sorrow, but a prating fool shall fall. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life but violence cover the mouth of the wicked. I want to share with you for the time remaining in our service from verse 7 and the words that are here before us. The memory of the just is blessed. And I was looking this morning on the plaque that is outside the Oatley Willis Library And that actually is the very text that's on the bottom of that plaque as well. And I had forgotten about that. Let's bow, please, and just ask the Lord to be with us now. Father, hear our prayer today. We're so thankful for the sweet memory that we have of those that have gone before us as a living example of the righteousness of Christ. We pray, Lord, that in all of our defects, in all of our brokenness, that, Lord, we will be able to truly and rightly reflect the beauty of Christ so that we will have a legacy to leave for those that come after us. Father, meet with us now, we pray. Open our understanding. Give me grace and help to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name today. Amen. Well, we've been thinking already a lot about memory. Memory is a a unique part of our makeup. God has engineered us uh, as far as His creation and given us this faculty of being able to remember 
Adam in his sinless state had perfect recall of all that he learned and saw. He never forgot his wedding anniversary. He never forgot the color of his wife's eyes. And some of the wives are thinking right now, I wonder if my husband knows the color of my eyes right now. You're not so sure about that. The wives might be thinking, as the men are thinking, some other things as well. Sadly, when sin, though, came into the world, the faculty of our memory, along with other human traits, it was seriously damaged. Do you ever wonder what it would be like to read your Bible and remember every word that you read? Instead of some of us, we think, I can't remember where that verse, I know it's on the right-hand column about three-quarters of the way down in my Bible, but I can't remember the book, the verse, or the number. And some of you are nodding your head right now. That's exactly the way it is. One man said to me, when he was thinking about his ability to recall, he said, yes, I have a good memory. It's just short. Of course, one of the major problems with our sinful nature is the things that we should remember, we forget. And the things that we should forget, they seem to keep coming back to us. And the devil will often use those memories of past sins to raise guilt up in our own minds. It's important for us to forget some things and strive to remember other things. We should praise God today, though, that He has an element of forgetfulness. Yes, the Lord has chosen to forget our sins once they have been put under the atoning blood of Christ. Sometimes you will hear the phrase, our sins are cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's not a verse that's in the Bible, but it's taken from Micah 7 and verse 19 that says the Lord will cast all of their sins into the depths of the sea. But how can God forget anything, you might ask? It is the intentional removal of our sin from His mind. It is something the Lord does on purpose. And He does this on account that our sins have been covered and removed and erased when Christ died on the cross and shed His blood to take our sins away. And everyone who repents and receives Christ is called and is at that point justified by a legal transaction that takes place before God in heaven. God declares that this sinner is now justified and free from his sin. And that's exactly who is being spoken about in our text this morning when it says, the memory of the just the memory of the redeemed, the memory of the saved soul, the memory of the person upon whom God looks and sees their sins are gone. The memory of the just is blessed. 
God sees us as already glorified. That's the most amazing truth because when we look upon our own hearts, we don't see perfection. We see all our liabilities. We see all our failures and our faults. But by God's great grace, He looks upon us through Christ and He sees that we are already glorified in heaven. It's as if we're already there in the eyes of God. We have the robe of the righteousness of Christ upon us today. Ah, believer, think about that. The next time the devil comes and points out all the sins that you've committed in the past, and he brings them to regurgitate them and stir up the mud of a sinful past in our life, let us remember that God looks and sees our sins are gone. They are under the blood of Christ. If you have repented and asked the Lord to save you. Now, our, our text speaks of the memory of a just person being blessed. And as we think on this today, and certainly in light of the memory of our brother John Bodner, he was not a perfect man, as none of us are. He was a man who had his issues, no doubt. But he was a justified man, a man who knew and loved Christ, and a man who had given himself to the work of the Lord. I mentioned already that we have sung in our service three of his hymns. Well, we will be singing one more in closing. But if I understand correctly, our brother wrote at least 300 hymns. And I am fortunate to have the possession of those, at least a copy of them. And I can tell you that in looking through as many as I have already, they are solidly doctrinal hymns. They are Christ-exalting. You've already seen that today. They are not trite. They are not frivolous. They are not empty. They are wholesome, biblical, doctrinal teaching and truth. And John wrote this in the preface of his hymn book. This author makes no pretense of matching the lyrical and doctrinal excellencies of former generations. He treads slowly and unevenly far behind on the path taken by others, and he lists about 15 different well-known hymn writers, and he said, and the host of others who have been faithful brothers and sisters that have written and composed many spiritual and scriptural hymns. He says, these sermons in song but echo the same gratitude of grace given to this guilty sinner. Several are dedicated as tokens of affectionate fellowship or grateful memory of believers dear to the author, some in earth, some in heaven. The memory of the just is blessed. And yes, he quotes that verse in the preface of his book. And so, friends, I want us today to be able to think and to have reinforced into our minds the rich heritage that we have through our brothers and sisters that have gone before us, and yes, the ones who are still living, because your memory 
and your testimony is still vibrant. You're still having an impact. But it's good for us to think about those that have gone before us that we have known and loved, and others we have maybe not known, but we still love them because they are followers of Christ. So the first thought is this. What is the real value of a faithful Christian testimony? The words in our text, they could be paraphrased this way. The remembrance of a God-fearing person is of immense value. The remembrance of a God-fearing person is of immense value. We are called throughout the Scripture to remember and to think upon those that have gone in the past and to thank God as we should for the heritage and to pray that we will also be those good examples to encourage and strengthen other believers. Now, you know yourself that the world is very quick to point out the imperfections. You're, you're making a testimony in the workplace. You're trying to do what's right. And then if you step out of line, even for a whisker, someone says, huh, I thought you called yourself a Christian, and yet you're doing this or you're doing that. Sometimes people get a bit more, well, descriptive, and they speak about the sanctimonious hypocrites preaching about repentance and conversion, holy living. What right do they have to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life? They operate on a double standard anyway. Does that sound a little bit familiar? Maybe you've heard something like that yourself. Well, we need not be surprised at this reaction. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, they called Him a devil. They said that He was a liar. They said that he was a blasphemer and that he was born of fornication. Yeah, they, they said all that about our Lord Jesus. Why should we think it any different that they would speak so of us? Friends, don't go through your Christian life thinking that you're going to make a great impact on those who are ungodly and to try to cozy up to them and at all involve yourself in any of that sinful activity because it will not work out well. But here's the thing. The reality is that oftentimes the world's criticism of us may well be right, because we can be very bad ambassadors for our Lord, and we can hinder the solid witness that we're supposed to have for Him because of our disobedience at times, our willfulness, our pride, our selfishness, and a whole host of things. But knowing this, it should at least put us more on guard to live blamelessly before such a very critical world. Let not your good be evil spoken of, the Lord tells us. And he said, John said that the person that says he abides in Christ, let him also walk even as Christ walked. That's a high standard, but it's a biblical standard, and we are endeavoring uh, to follow the Lord. It's very easy, you know, for us to point the finger, sometimes it's just a bony finger, at someone else 
who we might think is not walking the way they should be. Let's be careful about that, because as the old adage goes, there's three fingers that are pointing back toward us. Be very careful about that. There might be a very large beam, a four-by-four, a six-by-six sticking out of our own eye, and we're trying to correct the toothpick in somebody else's eye. The Lord does tell us a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And for many, this, this is really backwards because the riches would come first. And then if a good name follows, okay. If not, well, riches and gold rules. That's the way the world's thinking is. But it's not to be for the child of God. We are to fear God and to follow in His way. And our hearts, our hearts need to be in tune with Him to walk in fellowship with our Lord so that our testimony might shine and be a living example. What will be the greatest words that you will hear when you stand before God? If you're saved, the greatest words will be, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And all of this points to the fact that once we recognize the importance of a Christ-like life, well, we would strive not to allow the sins that can so easily beset us to take hold in us. Let them not be once named among us as the followers of the Lord. And so here I point out to you the value, the value of a God-fearing life is to testify that a sinner can be changed by Jesus Christ. The old hymn writer wrote, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul, which so long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. But without... God's work, this is impossible. How is it that a human being can change themselves from being in a position of dead in sins to become alive in Christ? How can I do that? By my, is it by my intelligence? Is it by my education? Is it by my family connection somehow, or a church connection? All of those things are empty and worthless when it comes to the spiritual change that must take place inside a person. The Bible asks the question, can a leopard change his spots? And I ask you this, can a person change their biological gender? Is it possible for us to do some things that are both physically and universally impossible? So how can I be transformed from the inside out? I can't do it by myself. It is a sovereign act of God. If I'm going to be transformed, it's a miracle of divine grace whereby I am taken out of my sin and placed in the righteousness of Jesus. The memory of the just 
is blessed. But think also about the value of a God-fearing life. It shows that such a change is not superficial, but it's genuine. Is that not the cry that we need to have as believers today? Let me have the real person. Let me have the real McCoy, as the, the old saying is. That which is superficial is going to be a mask. It's going to be like those movie sets where you see the buildings and they only have behind them two-by-fours that are holding up the face of it, but it's empty behind. We don't want that as being a Christian. We don't want that type of life or testimony. There has to be the transformation that comes from the Lord on the inner man, and it's not something that is plastic, superficial. No, my friend, it's not a cosmetic change. It's not getting a facelift or changing hair color. It's much deeper and more lasting than that because it is something that has to be done divinely and not by our human efforts. And so let us pray that the real, the genuine love of Christ would radiate from us so that others will see. It will be a light that shines. It will be a truth that is seen, not hypocritically, but it will be seen genuinely in our life. That's what I need. That's what I want. I don't want to be some kind of a preacher that just mumbles off words, and yet from Monday to Saturday the life is no different. And believer, you cannot be a person like that if you are a true child of God. Something else, the, the value of a God-changed life. It's not self-serving, but it is God-glorifying. That comes down to the real heart of the matter, doesn't it? Look, if we have been changed by the grace of God from the inside out by the Spirit of the Lord... We've been taken out of darkness into light. We've been taken out of death and given life. Then there has to be something seen in our life. This is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about me serving myself or gratifying myself. It's going to be about glorifying the Lord. Why? The, the simple catechism question, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Balaam, we'll call him the hollow, self-serving false prophet. He was judged by God for setting up a trap for the men of Israel by sending the women of Moab out to entice, and they committed fornication. There was judgment from the Lord that fell both upon Moab and upon Israel for that. But in the New Testament, both Jude and Peter, they cite the doom of wicked men, of this wicked man, Balaam. But Balaam said a very strange thing. Balaam said, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my latter end 
be like the righteous man. So because of that strange moment of clarity, even Balaam realized he, he was on the wrong road. He, he was in the wrong pathway. He was on the wrong side. And whatever Balak wanted him to do in cursing Israel, and even though he said, no, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that, but here, try this, send the women out. Balaam knew, my currency is bankrupt. I'm a wicked man. I'm following the temporal things instead of the spiritual things. I want the money instead of the Lord. Ah, friends, today, the Balaams of this world that reach kind of a rock star preacher status, but it's like a balloon filled with air, and it all comes to a halt at the point of a pin. What's the greatest value? Is it not how God esteems our lives? The value He places upon our obedient life, walking in submission and humility with Him. Many faithful saints have lived for God's glory only to receive a martyr's death. And many more have risen not to the level of fame or fortune, certainly not in the world scale, but they have lived a very quiet and peaceable and unassuming life. Church history is filled with Christians like that. They didn't make their mark on the canvas of history in any great way. But what were they doing? What did they do? I will tell you what they did. They did justly. They loved mercy. And they walked humbly with their God. And that's what it all boils down to. Christian, you might not see yourself as doing anything great for God. You might not see yourself as, as blazing a trail for the Lord, so to speak. But God sees you. He knows where you are, and He knows your heart. Do you love the Lord today? Do you want to have a testimony that will reflect His holiness and virtue and beauty? Walking humbly with the Lord is an investment that will pay eternal dividends. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt. Thieves cannot break through and steal. So we've been thinking for a few moments about the value, the real value of a, a Christian testimony. Please also think about this. Our responsibility to consider the life that so honors God. And I, I use the word responsibility because, you know, we can sometimes go through life a bit like mindless. We're so consumed with all of our own stuff, and we're so busy going through like, you know, the hamster on the, on the, the wheel and so on. But let's stop for a moment and think about the responsibility that you and I have to acquaint ourselves with those who have lived such a life and who have honored the Lord. Because as we acquaint ourselves with 
our brothers and sisters of the past and the present, the Lord will teach us from their life. He will show us the lasting impact of a life lived with God's approval. My dear friends, it cannot be overstated. The lasting impact of your life lived for the Lord in this day and age, it will have reverberating impact. There is much benefit for every Christian to be familiar with the lives of those that have lived faithfully for the Lord. And the Bible gives us an account, several of them, one in Hebrews 11 of the great cloud of witnesses, a biblical example for good study. We are to view their triumphs and their setbacks. We're to look at those men and women and see how they were in trial, how they had successes, their victories, and their failures, their temptations, and their restoration to service. You can't look at Peter without thinking about that one. Yes, the memory of the just is blessed, and we'll be blessed to consider deeply the investment of their lives for the glory of God, not just a history lesson. Don't just read biographies to fill up your time, but read them so that you might be able to draw from their lives by the Holy Spirit and see what God did in them, and then pray, Lord, do that in me. A pattern of the victory of Christ. You know, when you look and study a life like Job, what confronts us when we think about him? We think about Job, and we think about a man who was full of temptations, but also a man of great patience. He endured much. We consider the perseverance and the meekness of a man like Moses. We look at the warnings of overindulgence and the lack of self-restraint of a Samson, the courage and leadership of a man like Joshua, and the many, many other examples that God has given to us in the Bible and in church history in every generation. And this generation is no different, and this congregation is no different. Because, friends, you are making a mark on history according to God's purpose being fulfilled in your life. You're, you're not here without a purpose. You are here to fulfill the God-given, God-directed purpose that He has for you. Are you living it today? Are you setting down good memories for those who will be coming after? One, one commentator wrote this, he said, let our children find us faithful to our principles and our professions to our Savior, and when we are gone, our memory shall be blessed. They will be thankful for us. They will acknowledge praise to God for our testimony. So we thought about the real value of a faithful Christian testimony and our responsibility to take hold of that and, and take it to our heart. But then finally, this one. 
this consideration that we have, it will point us to Christ. Because if the memory of the just is blessed in an ordinary human setting, how can we apply this to our Lord Jesus? What does His memory in our lives do for us? As we contemplate Him, as we see Him revealed in the sacred Scriptures, as the Holy Spirit opens the Bible so that we can view more of our Lord Jesus. If the remembrance of a true believer is beneficial and meaningful, and the lasting experience of it, we will gain much. How much more it is true when applied to the Lord Jesus Himself. He is just. He is the just one. He is the holy and harmless and undefiled, separate from sinners, the Lamb of God without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And it was because of His sinless nature that He could be just and the justifier of all those who believe in Him. He gave Himself an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savor. Yes, friends, when Christ offered Himself, the fragrance of that offering, that perfect sacrifice, ascended to His heavenly Father. And as the Father declared, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, so He was well pleased with His sacrifice and that offering. The Lord Jesus has set up a very special time for us, hasn't He? As we meet around the Lord's table in communion. And as we do that, and we remember the Lord's death in His own appointed manner, we have bread and we have wine. We have the fruit of the vine, and these simple elements are nothing in themselves, but what they, they do for us, they give us a gathering initiative. And we come to have, by a simple feast, remembering our Lord, and He wants His memory to be fresh in our minds continually of what He has done for us. And we cannot think about Calvary too often. Now, I say to you, I say to myself, how many times we go through a day or a week or a month, and if it wasn't for the communion table, we wouldn't even think about the cross. The Lord knows that, and that's why He has given us the opportunity, and He draws us to Himself the heartwarming times that we have enjoyed around His table where we reflect upon the, the beauty and the love and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. We gather with other believers who are thinking the same things, not judging them, but rather judging ourselves in that sense. Is it not the sole purpose of our lives to point other people to Christ? For God has chosen us in the Lord Jesus before the foundation of the world 
that we would be holy and that we would be conformed to His image to mirror Him. So if Christ is full of holiness, we are to mirror the holiness of God. Be holy, for I am holy, the Lord says. It's a very high standard. You say, I can't meet that standard. The the thing is, my dear brother and sister, we are called by the Lord to aim high at that standard. Apart from all of our failures and our faults, we are to have a holy zeal for the things of God. The zeal of our hearts oftentimes burns very low and faint. So what do we do? We get the oxygen of the Holy Spirit and we pray, Lord, fan that flame and may it burn very brightly again. Pour on the oil, the fuel, so that our lives will be full of the zeal of Christ. Let us reflect Him and His beauty. Because the more that we reflect our Lord Jesus, the more our testimony will be blessed and it will bless others. But we do not want this only as some tribute at a funeral. Do you not want that to be a living witness? Do you not want your brothers and sisters to be say, say that of you while you're alive? Yes, we do. And let, therefore, our lives point others to Christ by our words and our witness and our work and all that we can do for Him. Ah, friends, in conclusion today, as we close this message, question, what legacy are we leaving to others? Never mind how much money will be in the estate What's the real legacy that we are leaving to our family? Have we considered the short time that we have to live? We've already been thinking about how short our lives are and how that people that we knew and loved passed away in 2011. My own dad died in 2011. Brother Bodner this past 2023 others we have lost in our congregation. The seats are being emptied one by one. How much time do we have? It's important for us not to be mm, morose about this, but it's good for us to be counting our days and applying our hearts unto wisdom as Moses prayed. And also think about this. Be reminded that it's only what is done for our Lord Jesus that will last. And that means laying up treasures in heaven and not upon earth. Let us be mindful of that, of serving Him. But I close with this point, if you are not a believer today, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't been born again of the Spirit of God, then you have no memory, no legacy to leave to your family. If you are outside of Christ and you come to stand before God, you will be separated from Him for all eternity in hell. And friend, the solemn truth of that is that today is the day of gospel grace. Today the arms of Christ are open to receive you. And right where you are seated now, online at home, you can simply pray, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I need you in my heart and life. 
and you call upon the Lord, and you ask Him to save you, and He will do that. He has promised. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the great gospel truth. That's the good news that we have to give today, and we give it freely because the Lord Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give the Word. Let our testimony shine. And all believers, may that be an epitaph over our funeral. But even better, let it be over our entire life that our memory, the remembrance of us, where we are, where we go, who we impact, of those who are justified by God. It is a blessed and a happy thing. We're going to close our service at this time by <clears throat> I've been so blessed just going through the, the binders that are brothers of our brother's hymns. And each one I read, it's just it's another encouragement to the heart and it lifts us forward. This closing hymn we have is Lord, here we stand. There are several verses of it. It has to do with where we stand regarding our, our position in the Word of God. It's really based on the five solas of the Reformation. The Scriptures alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, and by faith alone. Let's stand, please, as we sing.
close with his last verse, by Christ alone to us has come salvation through his obedience and his atoning blood. Let's sing this final verse. pray today that you would take this word, a simple verse of Scripture, yet, Lord, so full of meaning and truth. Write it upon every heart. And, Father, what about those who are unsaved today? Speak, Lord, through the power, the miraculous speaking power of the Holy Spirit, and bring sinners to Christ. Encourage all of us as your people today who might walk in fellowship, in harmony, in joy, and in the peace of the Savior. So, Lord, part us now in your fear, with your rich blessing. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.